Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation and Revelation in chapter number 20. Revelation and chapter number 20. We've been going through and walking through the series of the millennial kingdom, the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. We had started off this series by explaining some terms and defining what we mean, laying some groundwork of prophecy, putting the rules down so that way we can make sure that we get consistently the correct interpretation of scripture. Not what we wanted, but what the Bible had to say. And of course, we know that this is important, especially when it comes to the book of Revelation because so many times people take the book of Revelation and they turn it into a symbolic allegorical book rather than the literal interpretation. We believe the Bible is to be literally interpreted and we believe what it says. Then we took time to explain the nuts and bolts of the millennial kingdom. And an amazing thing for lots of folks is to find that most of what we find about the millennial kingdom, its conditions, its government, who is there, is found in the Old Testament. And the reason why is because the Old Testament is the promises to the Hebrew people and that the millennial kingdom is the fulfillment of prophecy to the Hebrew people and that we have to get in our mind sometimes that not everything is all about us. That we as Gentile believers are going to be the workers to help fulfill the conditions that God promised to the Hebrew people. And we took time to explain that. We explained the nuts and bolts of the government, how things are going to work, what are the jobs, what are they going to do, how do we get that, the judgments. And now we come to the very last message of the nuts and bolts. From this point forward, we're going to start talking about what happens after the millennial kingdom. So with that in mind, turn with me to the book of Revelation chapter 20. The book of Revelation chapter 20, and notice with me in verse 1. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and lived 
and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On the such that second death hath no power. And they shall be priests of God and of Christ. And shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan should be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom are as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breath of the earth and could pass the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark an important phrase that we find in the book of Revelation chapter 20? Revelation chapter 20, and notice with me at the end of verse number 7. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 7, notice the phrase, Satan shall be loosed. Satan shall be loosed. And with this, we're going to explain this event that occurs at the end of the millennial kingdom. And it is so much that it mentioned it in the early part of chapter 20, that Satan has to be loosed. Then it covered the millennial kingdom. And then it covers that he was loosed. This is such an important thing that it says that Satan must be loosed. And then Satan shall be loosed. Notice if you don't mind this idea and let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would give grace and mercy to us now. That we could open up and discern from your Bible this event. And that we could also discern why this event, what is going on, what is the purpose of it. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us to set things in order and that we ourselves can double check that we are the people that we ought to be for times such as this. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm very conscious that I need you. I do not have the physical health today, but Lord, you could supply your grace. I don't have the words to say. I don't have the mind to say, but you can supply your grace. Through your precious Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would fill me, that you could get your own work accomplished through your word tonight that you would set things in order, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we start off, we have to recap and paint the scene, and I want to go back and talk to you about the perfect kingdom. The perfect kingdom. Now, the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ is going to be the time where Jesus Christ will rule and reign upon this earth. Now, what makes it different when Jesus Christ reigns than what we live in now is that this earth will be perfect. It will be a perfect kingdom. Think about this. In this perfect kingdom, we're going to have a perfect government. We don't know what that's like, but can you imagine having a perfect government? In this kingdom, God is going to reestablish Garden of Eden conditions. 
Could you imagine what that would be like to be able to take a breath and to be able to run 200 miles without getting tired because the atmosphere, you would heal overnight, even major wounds that God promised it. It'd be a place of peace. There's no more wars. This is a wonderful place. Now, as we're setting that backdrop, we also have to understand the different people that will be involved. Now, again, a lot of this is review, but we're taking what we've learned and put together so we can get a proper scene. Inside of the millennial kingdom, there are going to be three groups of people. First of all, there are going to be the redeemed saints. Those are all of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as our personal savior before the rapture or those who died during the tribulation who accepted Christ as their savior. What will happen is that all of us, we're looking forward to it right here and now. The next event on God's calendar is the rapture. There are no more signs, no more wonders, no more things that have to be put in place, no more other things. We are just waiting. Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. He could come back today. That we're looking for his sudden return. The time that Jesus Christ calls us home, raptures us, calls us away, we're going to stand before Christ. We're going to receive the rewards in our bodies and we're going to get a brand new redeemed body. This brand new body will not be able to sin against God. I'm looking forward to that. And that we talked about there were some other perks and benefits that will be found inside of this body. Now, part of the rewards that we're going to get is that we're going to get assigned to be rulers, to be judges. We're going to be assigned, some of us, to be priests. Remember that the idea of the priest is that we're going to be used to teach people the word of God. The idea of rulers is not the idea to get people to serve me, but rather we're going to be the ones settling disputes inside of the millennial kingdom. You say disputes, yes, because now we come to a second group of people. The second group of people are those Hebrew people that survived the tribulation and did not die. They endured to the end and they're going to enter the millennial kingdom inside with their natural bodies, meaning the same bodies that you and I have. Our bodies, even though we're saved, can we still sin? Absolutely. And so they're going to enter into the millennial kingdom and they're going to be able to (coughs) still sin, still have a flesh, still have a sin nature. But one other thing that they're going to be able to do is they're going to be able to reproduce and have more children. Which brings us to the third group of people. Inside of the millennial kingdom, we're going to have those with redeemed bodies, those that cannot sin against God, and we are going to be part of that perfect government that Jesus is the head. There's going to be a second group of people of the Hebrew people that were lived through the tribulation and that they went through, and they're going to be able to have children inside of the millennial kingdom. Now, in the millennial kingdom, because of the conditions, there are not going to be a lot of deaths but there's going to be a lot of births and there is going to be a population explosion like you wouldn't believe. This is why Jesus has to have redeemed people to help administrate his government because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to need problem solved. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be born. Now, the one thing about this kingdom here is that it will be a perfect kingdom. It will be a place with a perfect government. It's a place of perfect peace. It's a place with economic prosperity. So let's imagine this scene. It is a place where there's no more poor people. No more homeless people. No more crippled people. 
infirmed people. It's a place where the government, you won't have to worry about what scandal's coming up next. You don't have to worry about elections. Praise the Lord, no more election calls. Jesus is going to be king and no one can vote him out. It's going to be a wonderful time. It's going to be a place where the animals are going to get along with the people. That you want to have a pet snake and don't worry about him coiling over it. That's great. You want a pet dinosaur? Wonderful. We're going to be able to enjoy that in the millennial kingdom. It's going to be a place also where Satan is locked away. Now, we don't know what it's like to have a world that Satan is not running it. Right now, Satan is not in hell in this current time where you and I live. Satan is the prince and power of the air. He rules his place. And we can see his handiwork everywhere. He's very much in charge trying to get his way. We, don't, we can't even comprehend what it would be like to be in a place where Satan doesn't have an influence. No demons, no satanic forces. And by the way, no more excuses that the devil made me do it. Amen, exactly. We won't have his influence. And so what's going to make this government unique is Jesus is there and Satan is not. The people who are born in the millennial kingdom, they're going to be born with a sin nature just like you and I have. And because they're born with a sin nature, every single one of them must personally accept Jesus as their savior. Now, it should be a lot easier because you want to meet Jesus, he's right there, let's go talk to him. Everyone could go talk to Jesus themselves. They're not going to live by faith, they're going to live by sight. It's a whole different thing. We had to believe in Christ who we've never met and had to meet with him spiritually. Those people have the privilege of meeting him personally and get to hear from him how much he loves them and that he died for them to pay their price. But every single person must accept Jesus as their savior. And so with this perfect government, you're going to have also a perfect justice system, meaning that we're not going to have murders. We're not going to have major crimes because if something's done, immediately it's taken care of. You don't have to worry about dragging through the courts through 10 years. You don't have to worry about seeing someone arrested and be put on bail immediately and then they go ahead and go commit more crimes. Isn't that a wonderful place? You don't have to worry about corrupted system. It's going to be a perfect system. People are still going to have to accept Christ as their savior, but it's a place of no crime. It's a place of peace. It's a one, we're looking forward to it. Which brings me to my second thing, the prisoner released. The prisoner released. Now notice again, if you don't mind, in the beginning part of Revelation 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid a hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So before the millennial kingdom even starts, we are going to witness Satan being chained and bound and being dragged to sentencing and thrown into hell. The Bible speaks about in Isaiah that we're going to look at him and say, this is it? This is the guy who caused all the problems? That, that's it? I expected him to be taller. 
We expect it more and we're going to watch him be bound and thrown away. Yay, he's gone, bound for a thousand years. But notice what it says. Verse number three, and cast him in the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. Notice this, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. You know what that word must means? It's a requirement. Satan must be loosed. Now, that's a head scratcher. After a perfect kingdom, perfect everything, we're going to let him loose? Well, what happens when we let him loose? Well, a lot of chaos and mayhem. Notice what happens in verse number seven. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth. This is a poetical way of saying he goes out and everywhere... The four quarters are all around the world. Of the corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now this is a poetical term. It's different than the Gog and Magog found earlier in the Bible. This is just a term that's recycled and brought back that these people are going to join forces to fight against God. To gather them together to battle. The number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now notice the number of people Satan's able to deceive. Now pause. Where did they come from? Where did all these people who decided to oppose God, where did they come from? Well, they were the people that were born in the millennial kingdom. You see, everyone has to accept Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And just like today, just because we witness to someone doesn't mean that they accept Christ. Now, these people are without excuse because every one of them know who Jesus is. They probably had a chance to go talk to him for themselves. Jesus made themselves available. And yet, their sin nature still said, even though Satan's not there to influence them, why should I have Jesus rule over me? Why should I let Jesus tell me what to do? You know, there's something in every single one of our sin nature, including mine, that hates to be told what to do. We don't want someone to be the boss over us. Whether it's a wife looking at her husband saying, I don't want to listen to you. Whether it's a church member looking at their pastor, I don't want you to tell me what to do. Whether it's someone looking at a police officer, I don't want you to tell me what to do. Whether it's people looking at their president, I don't want to tell you what, I don't want you to tell me what to do. There is in every single one of us, whether it's children looking at their parents, I don't want you to tell me what to do. Children looking at their teachers, I don't want you to tell me what to do. Children looking at pretty much everybody, I don't want you to tell me what to do. There's something in every single one of us, we have a rebel living in us. And even in the millennial kingdom, there are going to be people who do not want Jesus to rule over them. And because of that, they will not accept the free gift of salvation that Christ offered them, even though he is right there. Even though there's no satanic forces, they still will not get saved. It is mind-blowing. How many is not going to get saved, preacher? 10, 20? 
The Bible says all those that join Satan in rebellion is going to be as the sand of the sea, meaning you can't count them. Now, I told you a population bloom. May I say that even that's going to be a small fraction of those who do not, who did get saved? This is a small fraction compared to the people who did get saved. There's going to be a lot of people in the millennial kingdom. You want to talk about uh, population growth and population, uh, I forgot the term, forget it, doesn't matter. But, you know, you don't have to worry about population overload. Jesus has got things handled. And there's going to be a population who are going to say, listen, I know we just have Satan busted out of prison. I'd rather have Satan and follow after him than let Jesus rule over me one more day. Can you imagine that? Well, hopefully you could be honest with yourself and say, you've been there, done that. There may be even days that you are saved that you say, listen, I don't want Jesus to tell me what to do. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to go to church. I don't want any of this. Hopefully you get over it, but unfortunately, most of us have been there, even saved, saying, I don't want this today. Our flesh rebels. There's going to be people that even in a perfect government is going to rebel against Christ. Now, they're going to be destroyed. Notice what happens in verse number nine. And they, so all of those people who joined with Satan, and they went up to the breadth of the earth and passed about the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, by the way. So all of these people are going to gather together and they're going to stand outside of Jerusalem, this wonderful city of Jerusalem, not the Jerusalem of today. And they are going to stand and say, listen, Jesus, we're going to overthrow you. We have come to topple your throne. We have come to defeat you. Could you imagine the gall and the audacity to stand against Jesus in his kingdom? Now, I understand today we do that and we have a lot of bravery. It's kind of like typing in the internet. You could be a lot brave when you're behind a keyboard. I mean, a lot of people could be brave to Christ when they think he's up in heaven. (laughs) His throne's not here. But could you imagine actually going to the door of Jesus? Listen, we're here to overthrow you. That is a lot of rebellion. That's a lot of pride. We're here to kick you out. You're not in charge anymore. Well, they're going to find out Jesus is still in charge. Notice what happened. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. That was quick. (laughs) Can you imagine... (laughs) It talks about in the Bible that God laughs at the heathen. I can imagine, just in my own twisted sense of humor, that Jesus is inside the throne room. Maybe there's someone panicking. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. He says, don't worry. This is funny. Watch this, guys. Watch him outside. Hey, Jesus, we don't want you. (laughs) Can you believe this guy? I mean, now maybe some of us, we may have a perfect body, but I'm sure we're going to have a sense of humor. <laughs> Can you imagine these guys doing this? Anyways, my own mind, divine imagination, I think of that stuff. Okay. So they're devoured. They're gone. Then they throw Satan into prison. And the devil that deceived them were cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. As a reminder, the reason why God created hell in the first place was to punish Satan and his demons. Man was never intended to go there, but man goes there because he rebelled against God's authority and said, I don't want you to rule over me. 
Which now brings me to our logic question. The purpose of this time. Now, for a lot of people, we had Satan bound up. We put him away for a thousand years. Why let him loose? I mean, why not? If you had to transfer himself from hell to the lake of fire, why let him get loose? I mean, was it an accident? Did he pay someone off? What? Why? Why let him get loose? And that is a very good question. And the question is answered because it was a testing for man. You see, man has been tested in every condition that you could think of. And in every condition where you put man, he has failed. Let's go back and think about this idea of Adam and Eve in the garden. We call this dispensations, meaning that these are the different trials, the different testings, the different conditions that man has put in. The first condition is the age of innocence. They didn't know any better. They were still perfect. And they had one rule. That's it. Thou shall not eat of this tree. That's one rule. You could think that we would manage to obey one rule. I once had a Sunday school class and I said, all right, we're going to be starting next week, boys and girls, on the Garden of Eden. And they started talking back and forth and all of these little kids started saying, listen, I, I don't know. I would never sin. You know, they would start making jokes that if I saw Eve, I'd slap her in the face. What'd you do type thing? You know, I've heard people say things like that. But listen, if I was there, I wouldn't sin. I said, okay, cool, cool, cool. So I usually didn't do this, but... I uh, allowed snacks that next week. In fact, I urged the church folks to bring as many snacks as they possibly could. And so we had a big eight foot table and it had goodies. It had cakes. It had pies. It had brownies. It had everything you could imagine. Now in the middle of the table, there was in a foil um, pan covered with foil, something that they didn't know. And on the top of it, I had a note that said, for pastor, don't touch. And I told them that, listen, we're going to have a snack time. You guys have been doing very great. We, we put this together. You guys can have everything you want. Just don't touch this pan. This is for pastor. It's a surprise for him. Oh, wait, I forgot napkins. Let me go walk out and go get them. And so I walked out. I had my assistant still in the classroom and they said the most amazing thing happened that as soon as I walked out and was clear, they rushed to that pan, ignored all the other stuff and opened the pan up and looked and there was a note that said, just like Eve. <laughs> they put it back and man, I walked back, there was halos everywhere. <laughs> we didn't do anything wrong sinners, all of them. One rule. You can have all of these goodies. Look at all the stuff you can have. They were all good. You just can't have what's in this pan. But yet, as soon as they got the chance, they went straight to that pan. No matter where you put man, he failed. So God put man in a place where there was one rule. Messed it up. So they put him in a different experiment. Different thing, all right? 
So you messed that up. How about this? We live by conscience. You do what you think is right. And let's just let you determine what's right and wrong. Well, you start having murderers running all over the place. And the place was so corrupt. People were killing each other, not getting punished for it. It was not a good place. It was so bad that God had to send a worldwide flood to restart the thing. Because you just had murderers running over doing whatever they wanted. Well, all right, let's, I don't think we should have laws. We should choose what's right and wrong. Well, there you go. And they messed that up. So they brought him to the next dispensation, the next trial. This trial was government. That God said, listen, we can't let murderers do whatever they want. So if someone murders, we're going to set up something called government. And it's going to be the government's job to punish evildoers. All right, let's see if you guys can manage to survive with a government that is going to punish evildoers. Well, they messed that up. And everything was horrible. All right, fine, fine. Let's start another one. Let's put you in a place of laws. So how about if I give you 613 laws that we could boil down to 10 commandments. And let's see if you can manage to live under 10 commandments that show God's holiness and his perfection. I meant simple things that we could agree with. Could we agree that we should not murder? Could we agree that we shouldn't tell lies? Could we agree that we should obey our folks? And we messed it up. We failed. Well, that didn't work. So God brings us to the place where we're at now of the time of grace. How about this? Jesus died for you to pay for your sins. And now that your sins are paid for, can you manage to live correctly? Well, we messed that up. Well, that didn't work. So what God is going to do is going to put us in another final trial. And you know, the reason why is because we give objections. Well, if God, if we just had a perfect society, we would live perfect. Well, if I just had the right people in power, if we had the right people in Congress, well, if we had the right Supreme Court, well, if we had the right leader, well, if we didn't have any government. So, you know, people say this today. That's called reading the newspaper. It's reading blogs. Well, if we had a perfect utopia, well, if we didn't have an economy, well, if we didn't worry about money, well, if everybody was equal, it doesn't matter. Man will fail. The whole idea of socialism says that if we can make everybody equal, Equal in rank, equal in gender, equal in pay, equal in houses. Everybody has the same thing. That uh, we live in a utopia. The problem is, is that it leaves out the factor that we're all sinners. Amen. We can have all the same things and we can still want what somebody else has. Amen. We will fail. So God sets up this last one. Let's put people in a perfect government where Jesus is the head. A government where the officials cannot be corrupted. A place of perfect peace, perfect harmony, no more wars, no more murderers, no more Satan running around. And let's see if they can manage to live right. And they failed. What we find is in every situation you place man, you see them fall. What, what is going on? What we see here, it's almost like a little child whose biblical authority their parents leave them. You know, there is a difference between <coughs> being submitted and being, excuse me, <coughs> being compliant. 
What do we mean by this? Some kids are good just because that's what's expected of them. But their heart is not in it. They're compliant. How do you know if someone's compliant or submissive? We know it's a matter of the heart. How can you tell if someone's compliant or submissive? You remove authority and see how they behave. That's why you see church kids who look good in church. As soon as they turn 18, they become hellions out there. Why? Because their heart was not in it. They were doing what they were supposed to on the outside, but their inside was so far away. You see, the problem is the heart. The problem is the heart. And the true test of the heart is to let people to get to the place where they don't feel like they could be caught. To get to the place where there's no authority and see what they do. Sometimes it's called integrity. Sometimes we use the word character. But who you truly are is not who you are in public. Who you truly are is who you are in private. So when the lights are off and you're supposed to be sleeping and you can't sleep yet, what are you looking at on your phone? That's who you truly are. When you're dealing with people at work and you're doing the job, what you're like in here is who you are. If you're planning on burning the place down the first chance you get, there's probably a heart problem. Some of us have been there. Some of us have got to the place. Listen, if I didn't have to have this job, if I won the lottery, I'm doing the big booty goodbye dance on the top of my, my boss's desk. I've heard people say something like that. You see, it's the idea of your heart. What happens when you remove authority? What happens when you move restraints? That's who you truly are. And by the way, who we truly are shows that we need a savior. Amen. We need a savior. And that we need to allow that savior to mold us and make us. So who we are in private is something that's pleasing to God. Every one of us can polish ourselves and look good on the outside. Wear the right clothes. Hold your Bible just right. Smile real big. Stand up when you're supposed to stand up. Sit down when you're supposed to sit. Sing when you're supposed to sing. Well, you could have a hymn book and singing out loud and your mind could be somewhere far, far away. Integrity, who you truly are. This final test in the millennial kingdom is going to test the character of who people truly are when they're given the choice. If you have the choice to follow after Christ, will you? You see, a lot of people in the millennial kingdom are going to come to the idea, the only reason why I'm following Christ is because I have to. All right, fine. Let's give you a choice and see where you're at. I'd rather have Satan then follow after Jesus. And listen, we have to guard ourselves. There are many times that if you thought you could get away with it, you would. We have to guard our heart. We have to realize how filthy and wicked it truly is. And we have to get to the place where we say, I need Jesus every day. I need him every hour. I need him moment by moment. I just need him because, listen, left to my own devices... I will fail.
I need Jesus. So the question is, if you had the choice to rebel, would you? You're like, I wouldn't serve Satan. I know that we're not talking about that. But let's say that there's something happened and you had the opportunity to skip church and you could get away with it. You had a good excuse. Would you want to take it? We know that there's sometimes that some of you have to work and your heart's here. I'd rather be here. I'd rather be here. That's a good place. What about your Bible reading? I meant for the most part, nobody's checking on your Bible reading. Did you read your Bible today? Did you see it today? You can get away with not reading your Bible and you could lie to pastor. Hey, how's your Bible reading? It's great. What are you reading? Psalms. What's God speaking to you about? Patience. That's usually the telltale sign that you're not reading your Bible, by the way. You could lie to me. But where are you at? Are you doing what's right even if you could get away with it? Integrity. All this is to remind us is that we're not where we're supposed to be. And we're capable of anything at any time. You just give us the right condition. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Or we're going to fail. Where are you at? You cannot live the Christian life on your own. You're not in a redeemed body yet. You are capable of failing. Hopefully you get to the place where you realize, I need him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.